Leviticus 14 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This law shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest will go out of the camp and the priest shall look. The first thing about God doing a work in our life is this. The priest always went out to the leper. The leper didn't come into the camp. The priest went looking for the leper. That is a significant point because you hear this term, you know, I found Jesus when I was 18. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. God is always on the look for people. He's always pursuing people. He's always coming and finding people in their need. This is an amazing point when you think about it because many of you have heard me say this, but for years we've been sold a lie that when we're in sin and when we're in pain, that God turns his back on us. And once we clean ourselves up, then God can reestablish his relationship with us because God and sin don't mix. I know what they're saying, but the reality of that is totally wrong. That when Adam sinned, God came looking for Adam in the garden. He didn't wait for Adam to clean himself up, to cover himself. God pursued Adam. See, sin makes us feel like we've got to get ourselves right before God will turn up. But that's not, David said, I can make my bed in hell and there's nowhere I can flee from your presence on a good day or a bad day. And we must get that revelation that in our deepest need, in our greatest pain, in our greatest mistakes, God shows up. He pursues us in our pain. So you heard that term on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's been preached and preached and preached that when Jesus bore our sin, God turned his back. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This was God's idea. He didn't say, Jesus, well, you clean up the mess and once you've done with, dealt with it, I'll come on board. No, God was in Christ. This was a partnership in restoring mankind back to himself. So the priest pursued the leper. You say, well, didn't Jesus say, God, why have you forsaken me? Didn't the, the sun turn black and didn't God turn his back on Jesus? No, no, no. Jesus was quoting Psalm uh, chapter 24, I think it was. Let me have a quick look. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 verse 1. And so when, when, the, when Jesus or the apostles, when they would quote Old Testament passages, often they would use one verse and, and the Jews knew that when they highlighted one verse, it was, a, it was an invitation or an understanding that there was a whole passage connected to that verse. They weren't just quoting one verse. They knew that there was a whole chapter, a whole thought pattern attached. And as you read Psalm 22, God responds to that cry and says, I have not turned my back on you, nor have I forsaken you. I hear the cry of the afflicted. So Jesus was quoting that psalm, why have you forsaken me? But full well knowing that God had not forsaken him. So why did he say that? Because that's what sin does. Sin causes mankind to think that God has forsaken. Jesus is crying out on behalf of all mankind. When he takes on man's pain, he feels the pain of being deceived by sin. And when sin comes upon us, we feel like God has turned his back. I grew up like that every time I sinned, which was quite often. 
I felt like God had turned his back on me and that I had to somehow pay penance and live in the naughty corner for a week and pray enough prayers and, and do enough good things to get God's favor again. No, God is constantly pursuing people in their pain. He, does, he doesn't ignore sin. He comes to us in our sin, sin to restore us. So no matter where you find yourself today, there's nothing that you can do that's too bad for God to restore. On your worst day, his grace is better or greater than your greatest sin. He's a covering, keeping God. Isn't that exciting? So in verse 3, it says, Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, so the priest goes out and inspects the person, the priest will command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds, often these were sparrows, and cedar wood, so two birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, which is scarlet cord, and hyssop, a branch of hyssop, or hyssop branch. And the priest will command them to kill one of the birds in the earthenware vessel over fresh water. So one of the birds gives up its life. They kill the bird, the blood pours out into a bowl with water. Why? Because there wasn't enough blood in a sparrow to go to do the job. So they would mix it with water to make it greater. It's a picture of Jesus coming both of water and of blood. Speaking of his baptism at the start of his ministry, his crucifixion at the end. His heart was pierced and blood and water poured out. So we've seen all this in the book of Leviticus hundreds of years before. He will take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. So they would get the bird that was alive and they would tie the bird with scarlet cord to the cedar wood, which is the picture of the cross, and they'd join it with hyssop and they would dip it in the blood of the dead bird mixed with water and they would use that as the tool to bring cleansing to the leper. So the first bird is killed in the earthen vessel. It's a picture of Jesus crucified. The second bird, the live bird, is the picture of Jesus resurrected. What a powerful story. The cedar wood, the scarlet cord, and the hyssop. The scarlet cord, which tied the bird to the cross, is an amazing thought when we think of scarlet because it says in Matthew 27, 28, that Jesus was stripped and a scarlet robe was placed upon him before he was crucified. Scarlet is mentioned 50 times in the American Standard Version, my Bible. And 50 is the number of Jubilee. So he's tied with a cord that even though he would give up his life, that that scarlet represented that you and I would go free. We would have our Jubilee. Jubilee is that which has been taken from us. Everything that's been stripped from us, our dignity, our honor, our blessing, our birthright, all that's been stolen is restored. And that's what happened at the cross for you. Yeah. You're hearing that. Scarlet was also a cord that they would tie around the hand of the firstborn, particularly when there were twins coming. They would tie, uh, the nurse would tie a scarlet cord around the wrist to signify that which has come out first. It's a picture of the firstborn Jesus 
would be the firstborn of the dead. He would be the pioneer. He would defeat sin and sickness and all the works of the enemy. And he would be a forerunner that many people would follow. You and I today would follow in his footsteps and gain victory over all the works of the enemy. And we see this in the picture of Leviticus chapter 14. Hyssop was attached to this as well. So the bird is on a, a piece of cedar wood tied around with scarlet cord and hyssop attached as well. And hyssop is a cleansing agent. They use that to cleanse the temple. And so this is a picture for all of us that when we accept Jesus as our Lord, when his blood is applied to our life, we are cleansed and made whole. Did you hear that? Listen to what it says in Colossians 1.22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Did you hear that today? The moment Jesus comes into your life, the Bible says that you are without blemish, that you're holy and free from any accusation. So no matter what you've done in your past, all the sins that you've done, once the blood of Jesus is appropriated in your life, once you say, Jesus, that death that you died... You died for me. I received that. You died on my behalf. Once his life comes inside you, the Bible says all your sins are removed and you are free from any accusation. And so when the devil comes and says, I'm accusing you, I saw what you did. I've seen what you've done in the past. You can remind him that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Colossians says that, but even as we go back to Leviticus 14, that hyssop was a key ingredient in the deliverance for the live bird so it could fly off free in the open field. And God's design is for every single one of us today to understand our freedom in Him. And one of the greatest areas we can be free is in our minds. He is the accuser of the brethren. He constantly says how you've not measured up, how you failed, how you should have done this, and you should have done that. But the Bible teaches us that once we are in Christ Jesus, you are free from accusation. You are perfect in Him. Perfect. What God sees in Christ, He sees in me. And the perfection of His obedience is now mine. That's the beauty of the cross that most people don't understand. He took on our nature so we could have his nature. So what God saw in us, he dealt with at the cross. He's both just and the justifier. And he now sees every believer perfect in him. My Bible says I'm forgiven and perfect. Free from all accusation. By one sacrifice, he's made all of us perfect in Christ. What an amazing testimony. Verse 7. It says that he will sprinkle the blood seven times on him who is to be cleansed. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and he will let the living bird go into the open field. The blood will be sprinkled seven times upon him. The blood covers our sin. You know, when I wrote the book, The Gospel According to Noah, there's a key word in that story of Noah, it's the pitch that's used or like tar to cover the boat. So the boat's made of wood, obviously, but wood represents humanity. 
So God said to Noah, when you cover the ark, cover it with pitch or tar on the inside and out. The word for pitch is kephar, which is where we get mercy seat or the covering. And so God said, when I look at you, Noah, I won't see your fallen humanity. I will see the covering. And that word kephar also means the price of a life. I will see the price of my son's life. I won't see your brokenness, your failings. I will see my son's perfect sacrifice. Not only will I see it, but when you're inside the ark and you look out, you won't see the wood because the, the ark was covered with pitch on the inside and the outside. So when you look at yourself, you must see yourself through the obedience of the son. You are in Christ Jesus, covered from head to tail. Again, in the ark of the covenant, at the top of the ark, there was a mercy seat. And in the mercy seat, they would apply the blood once a year for the forgiveness of sin. Because in the ark were three things. There was the, the rod that budded, there was the manna, and there was the Ten Commandments. And those three things speak of Israel's rebellion. They rebelled against God's leadership, His provision, and His commandments. And every year, God would see that and He would say, I want you to apply the blood of bulls and goats in that mercy seat. And when I look at Israel's rebellion, I will see it through the blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats that represented a greater reality to come, which was Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats cannot remove your sin, has no lasting power, but the blood of Jesus has eternal power. And by one sacrifice at the cross, he has perfected every single person that has faith in Jesus Christ. His blood covers you. So when God looks at you, he sees the sun. When the devil looks at you, he sees the blood and he cannot touch you. That's the power of the blood. And it's sprinkled seven times. But this is the thing about Christianity that many believers don't understand. And here it is. We have to appropriate all the benefits of what Jesus did. Did you hear that? What God supplies, we have to apply. Did you hear that? Whatever God supplies, we have to... Uh, let me say it again. What God supplies, we have to apply. We have to apply. We have to say, thank you, Jesus. See, all the promises in the Bible are powerless until I open my Bible and I begin to say yes and amen. How will we save? By believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. God has done everything. He sent his son, but you will never be saved until you say, Jesus, come into my heart. I recognize what you did on the cross. And by faith, I say, let that be for me. And when you do that, he will come in your heart. If you never do that, he'll never come in your heart. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. So all the work of the blood of Jesus, it was applied in seven different places. We have to appropriate. If you say nothing, if you don't believe in it, it won't have any power in your life. It has power, but not in your life until you appropriate it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, we have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, they believed and therefore they spoke. We also believe and also we speak. So when we believe in a promise, we have to speak it. The spirit of faith looks like something. We believe. So when I preach today, you will hear about the power of the blood. You have to go home today and speak it. Speak it. Whenever the enemy tries to attack you in these areas, you speak. You speak to him. You say, no, 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 no. You can't accuse me. You can't accuse me anymore. 
Why? Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all sin. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have his nature now. God is not looking at my faults. He's seeing the obedience of the Son. And the righteousness I have is not my own. It's imputed to me. It's given. It's actually Jesus' righteousness given to me. I get his nature just as well. Woo! So the priest sprinkled the blood seven times on the one who was to be cleansed and pronounced him clean. The number seven comes from the Hebrew word shavar, and it means to be full, to be satisfied, to be complete. It's a powerful word. It's also the number used to admit people into covenant relationship. And so this blood was sprinkled seven times on the cleansed leper, and it was saying to him, you are now complete, you are full, you are perfect, and you are welcome into covenant community. That's you today. The blood of Jesus has made you complete, pure, holy, and you are welcome into the family of God. So you'll see on the screen here, and I have shared this some time ago, but I've got some new things to use in this. But the blood of Jesus was shed seven times or seven different places. I know we think about the blood of Jesus at the cross, but it was actually shared at seven places. And what's interesting about this, and I want you to get this, because it goes on in Leviticus to say that wherever the blood of Jesus, wherever it covers, the oil anoints. So wherever the blood of Jesus is applied in your life, listen carefully, where I apply the blood by faith, the oil of the Spirit comes immediately and covers that and anoints. Wherever I get a revelation of the blood, the Spirit of God comes and rests on that. Leviticus 14 goes on to say that after the leper was cleansed and admitted back into the camp, they would take some more blood, a trespass offering, and they would anoint the leper's right earlobe, his right thumb, and his right big toe. And after doing that, they would pour out oil in and put it into the left hand of the priest. And the priest would put his right finger in the oil and sprinkle the oil, representing the work of the Spirit, seven times before the Lord. Then he would take that oil and he would anoint the right earlobe, the right thumb and the right toe of the leper, where the blood had been applied. Then the remainder of the oil would be poured out on the leper's head and it would go down his body. Wherever the blood is applied... The oil comes and rests upon that. Are you getting this today? If you apply the blood in these areas of your life, if you confess it, if you by faith activate the blood of Jesus in this area, because the blood's been shed for these areas, the oil of the Spirit of God will come upon these areas and quicken you. So let's get into it because I can see you waiting. In the Garden of Gethsemane, is the first place where the blood was shed. Jesus sweat great drops of blood. Gethsemane means oil press. It's where the pressure comes. Wherever there's great pressure in our life, you need to understand God's about to bring or wants to bring you into a greater upgrade of your anointing. Wherever there's pressure, there's an invitation for greater dimension of the presence of God in your life. And when he was under pressure, listen what he did. He prayed even more. Most Christians, when they get under pressure, pray even less. 
But Jesus understood this was my opening to a greater encounter with the Father and obedience to his will. So in the garden, his sweat became like drops of blood as he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. In the first garden, Adam prayed the opposite prayer, not your will, but let my will be done. And when Adam gave over his will, he lost his power. That's willpower. When Adam gave over his will to the devil, he lost all power, dominion and authority. Jesus' blood was shed to redeem your will. Why is this important? Because every air where you say, I can't, I can't overcome this addiction. I can't overcome these thought patterns. I don't have the ability to stick out things, to be disciplined. My will's so weak. Jesus said, I shed my blood to redeem your will so you can say yes to God and no to sin. Are you hearing me? This is a supernatural work of the Spirit. So many Christians are trying to resist sin by their own willpower. Your willpower, apart from the blood and the anointing, is powerless. Adam discovered that. When you are outside of God, when you are working your own strength, you will succumb to depression, to to all sorts of of attacks because your will isn't strong enough to resist. Oh, I tried and I failed. Well, you know what? Allow the blood of Jesus to come upon you. Each day say, Lord, your will for my will. You shed your blood. Your blood was shed to redeem my will. I have the will of God. Instead of Jesus, he, became, he came to do the will of the Father. It's written of me. It was foretold to me that he would come a man who would totally fulfill the will of God. The devil never had one hold on Jesus. Not in one area did he succumb. Not in one area. Not once did he fail. Is it possible to live like that? Is it possible to resist sin and temptation? Well, once we get a revelation of the will of God inside us, that the blood was shed and the blood represents his life. So when he shed his blood, it was payment to redeem everything that man had lost. In the garden before Adam sinned, his will was perfect. He redeems us, Ephesians 1, 6 says. His blood redeems us. It brings us back to that original place. And the more we appropriate that, the more we come into a place of obedience. Where the blood's applied, the anointing covers and comes upon. So this is not me trying to resist temptation. This is saying, Jesus, your will is now my will. And the Holy Spirit says, I can bless that. I can come sit upon that. Imagine having such anointing and strength of God where you failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. I know what it's like. There are some temptations that I reckon I've failed. Fail, oh, maybe exaggerating. Maybe hundreds and hundreds of times. I've got back up after failing and said, I'm going to try again. And I got back up, got back up, and I never knew how to break that. It's a work of the Spirit. He can shatter every bondage every wrong thought. He can break pornography, drug addiction, fear, depression, whatever it is, his will is stronger than all the works of the darkness. Amen? So we say, Lord, let your blood be applied to our will. Why don't we say that today? Lord, let your blood be applied to our will. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for those that have tried and failed. I ask, Lord, that you bring new power to their will and give them willpower. And Holy Ghost, rest upon the work of Jesus, the redemptive work of our will, and give us your supernatural ability to do the will of the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Number two, his beard was plucked. And this is a picture of our shame. He took our shame. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says that they plucked the hairs out of my beard. That was the ultimate insult to a Jew. All our shame came upon Jesus at the cross. You imagine that they ridiculed him. They stripped him naked. He was, he was like a, an object of scorn and ridicule before all of mankind. He knows what it's like to be an object of shame. Shame really represents this picture that there's something intrinsically wrong with me. When I look at myself, I just don't feel right. See, in the garden, Adam and Eve were naked but not ashamed. But when they fell, they began to realize that there was something wrong with them. And for those that feel like there's something wrong inside them, that shame has come. Maybe you've done things or people have done things to you and now you're ashamed of yourself. You look at yourself and you think there's something not quite right with me. The blood of Jesus was shed so we come into a place of absolute righteousness before God. Righteousness is the ability to stand before the Father without any inferiority, any shame, any fear, any intimidation. That's what the blood does. It removes our shame. It makes us feel like there's everything right with me. I can look in the mirror now and fall in love with myself all over again. That's how it's supposed to be. We are the object of God's great pleasure. I love myself dearly. Don't you? Don't you? Made in the image of God. And we begin to see ourselves more than just the outward shell. We begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Because any other identity is a false identity. And mankind wants to put a false identity. And most people in the world don't even know who they are. Because our identity is only discovered in Him. In Christ. We are covered in Christ. And when they were in the garden, they saw themselves as God saw them. Outside of the garden, they began to see themselves as the enemy saw them. And they were ashamed. So we apply the blood over our lives. Lord, when I look at myself, may I see myself as you see myself. Remove all the shame. All the areas where I dislike myself, where I feel like there's something wrong with me. I apply your blood. So every morning, get up and say, thank you, Father, for making me me. Thank you, Father, I can stand before you, naked as it were. You can see right through me, all my thoughts, all my intents, all my quirks, all my personality, and you love me. So it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if people scorn me or misunderstand me. You love me! And your blood's upon me. Your blood was shed. You were, you were, you were, they tried to put you to shame. But you shall not be ashamed, Lord. Your blood was shed. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon that. He comes upon that revelation of the blood and he renews us inside. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Number three, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. 
You know, it tells us in the Bible, in Isaiah, that he was bruised for our iniquities. But we see it in the Gospels that when they blindfolded Jesus, they punched him. They said, prophesy, who hit you? They slapped his face. They bruised him. Now, it wasn't a blood that flowed on the outside, but it was a blood that was given for us on the inside. It's about our iniquity. He was bruised for our iniquity. There was the giving up of his life and his blood for everything that goes on inside us. Iniquity is a spiritual force that makes us bow down to something. It's often in the Bible tied into generational iniquity. In other words, my father had a disposition to do this. My mother had a disposition to do this. And their mother and their father. And so it goes down the family line. They were broke, I was broke. They were in insecure, I'm insecure. And you see this over and over again, the trait of iniquities going down family lines. And it says he, he was bruised for our iniquity. It's like the enemy's been whacking people and smacking them. And they may look all right on the outside, but on the inside they carry deep emotional wounds. And Jesus said, I'm here to heal you. And we apply our, his blood to our life. We say, Lord, you see what's happened in my family line. Your blood was given for my redemption, so I would go free. Did you hear that? The living bird went free in the open field. Some of us think that's just the way it's going to be. I can see right down my family line, and it's always been that way. It doesn't need to stay that way. I am free from some of the things that have been in my family line. I know I'm free. His blood makes us free. And I'm anointed now, not only to be free, but to minister to people that have been bound in those same areas. That's the power of the blood. It redeems, makes us whole. You are not a leopard that can't change its spots. You're not stuck in some way of living that will never change. When Jesus comes into your life, he makes all things new. You get a brand new beginning. Are you hearing this? Cool. Number four, a crown of thorns was placed on his head. The head speaks of mindsets. Thorns speak of poverty. It's the curse of toil and sweat and never having enough. They made this terrible crown of thorns. Can you imagine getting a crown and thorns and, and pressing them? The skull is such a sensitive area. I don't know if you, I've got more cuts and scars on me that you can poke a stick at, but I've got some on my head. And let me tell you that when your head bleeds, it hurts, and blood flows freely. Matthew 27, 29 tells us that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said in the parable of the kingdom that in the bad soil there are thorns that grow up and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. And thorns represent people stressing and worrying and anxious about how they're going to make their ends meet. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're either worried about where your next dollar is coming from, you're worried about your future, or else you've got lots of money and you're worried about how you're going to keep it. You're anxious and you're worried about life. Or else you've looked at your money and it's all been self-effort and, 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 and you've worked so hard for it. That's not the kingdom. And Jesus came to give you a new mindset, to upgrade the way you think. See, the old... Nature is toil, sweat, hard labor. To be free from cursed thinking is to have good ground, 30, 60, 100 fold. 
And many are being ushered into this new kingdom thinking where God says, one hour of meditation worried on me is equal to 100 hours of toil. I can change the way you think. I can give you ideas. I can show you things to come. I can bless the work of your hands. You can either be self-made or God-made. And in my life, I want people to see the goodness of God and say, that must have been God. Because you've done far more than your IQ. So let your blood, Lord Jesus, redeem the way I think. So much of our thinking is limited, is based around toil, sweat, and anxiety. If there is worry and anxiety in your heart towards money, you're operating out of a fallen mindset. If there's any worry, any stress, any anxiety, well, that's a, that's a big call, Andrew. Well, hang on. The Bible says, be anxious for just a couple of things. Money. Just be anxious for nothing. For nothing. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The shalom of God will guard your heart and your mind. So his blood flowed so you would be worry and anxious free. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Because you know what? When I look into my future, sometimes it looks hazy. Sometimes I don't know... How you know, I can go when I'm 70, 75, and you know, you can be looking at your super and trying to work out, am I gonna have enough? Where's the calculator? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. You know, you're not like the Gentiles who worry and stress. He says, Don't I take care of the, the sparrows and the birds of the air that don't even sow or reap? Don't I take care of the lilies of the valley and don't even toil or spin? How much more valuable are you? So that's the problem. We don't see our value before God. My five kids are very valuable to me. And there's nothing I wouldn't give them. I take my responsibility serious. I'm their provider. How much more our father? Number five, he was flogged at the whipping post. Many of us know this. That it says that in Matthew 27, 26, they released Barabbas. Isn't it ironic? Barabbas, son of Abba. And they had Jesus be flogged. They whipped him. By his stripes, Isaiah 53, 5, we are healed. Isaiah 52, 14 says, They were astonished when they looked at, looked at Jesus. His, his visage was marred more than any other man. And some people say, Oh, well, that's because he was whipped and beaten. That was more than that. He took on all the sin of the world. Imagine that. Imagine what that would do to a body. Imagine just all your sin in one lifetime brought to you in one moment. Do you imagine? Well, you know what it's like when you've done something really bad, something bad, and you feel guilty about it. Imagine the worst thing you've done and how it took you maybe days or weeks or months to overcome that, to deal with it. The pain, the, the heaviness. Now collect all the bad things that you've done, the wrong things, from, from the beginning to the end and place it on you. And I think if you had that placed on you for one moment, you would go mad. Then you get everyone's sin here today. And not just here, but all of this city, all of this country, all of the world, but not just the world, but of the world from the beginning to the end. And they gathered all of that up. 
And Jesus bore our sin on his body. And that's why the Bible says his whole, pers- his whole person, his body, was contorted. In fact, they say when you read the Hebrew, it actually infers that they vomited when they looked at him. Such was the mess. Not just physically, but to see how his whole body was contorted under that sin. And he was whipped and beaten for our deliverance from sin and sickness. It's a big deal to God. He was reconciling the world to himself, and it cost Jesus his life. His blood redeems us from sickness. By his stripes we are healed. That has to be appropriate. That's a big one for the church today. We've got to go after this. We have to say, Lord, this cost you your life. Well, you know, some people get healed, some don't. It cost him his life. This is not something that we, well, it may work or it may not. We may fight for or not. We may believe or we may not. It cost Jesus his life. He gave his body for the redemption of our bodies. So every day we can say, thank you, Jesus, that your blood flowed freely down your back. I don't know how true it is because we really don't know, but some people say that he was lashed 39 times. It may or may not be true. The Jews had a rule that no one was allowed to be lashed more than 39 times. Now, whether the Romans adhered to that rule, I don't know. But it's ironic today that the World Health Organization has listed 39 major diseases and illnesses. I think it was upgraded from 36 now to 39. Every disease, every illness was paid for at the cross. And so we allow the blood of Jesus to come into our life. And sometimes I do that, I just picture the life of God coming into all of my body, all my organs, all my cells, every part of my being. Thank you, Lord, for health, for divine healing. And when we apply the blood, the Spirit of God comes and rests upon that and does His work. Amen? On the cross, they nailed His hands and His feet. In the garden, man lost dominion and authority. He was given dominion and authority, and he lost it. And so Jesus' hands were nailed into the cross, and blood flowed. The Bible says, we will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Whatever you put your hand to, to, whatever you put your hand to it shall prosper. He has given us authority in these hands. These hands are healing hands. When I lay hands on people, when I do this, something goes from me into them. The anointing of God that's in me flows through my hands. And the same for you today. Did you receive that? These are powerful hands. These are hands of authority. In your hands, as you look at them, the hands of authority, the blood flowed Freely. The blood flowed freely through his hands to restore what we had lost. We'd lost our authority. When things happen, we say, oh, this is too bad. When people around us are broken and in need, we feel like we've got nothing to offer them. And so we hear this line, oh, oh, I'll pray for you. It's like, you know, when all else fails, I send up a shoot up a prayer. But you have powerful hands. 
that when something's going wrong in a person's life, you can say, come to me. I will pray for you. And the living God that is in me will flow through you and bring change to your life. In Jesus' name. You have powerful hands. We shall lay hands, the Bible says, and they shall recover. The disciples laid hands and they set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. Authority and power flow through our hands. His feet were nailed to the cross. I can't imagine how that felt. But he did that so we would walk in dominion. It's interesting that seven times this scripture is replayed throughout the Bible, starting with David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool. Joshua's going into the promised land. And we know this from archaeology, that they erected five footprints in Gilgal, half the size of a football field, as a prophetic declaration that every place that we tread our feet, the land shall be ours. And later on, we know that they put their feet on the head of the kings that they conquered. Jesus' feet were nailed to give you dominion. So everywhere that you tread, the kingdom goes. When we go into the workplace, I was in the room and I'm praying and aware that wherever I go, the kingdom goes. Dominion goes. Authority goes. And I can pray for the people that are, that are working with me. I can shift the atmosphere of the place that I'm in. When people are afflicted, I carry dominion and authority. That's the way God designed it. He is in me. As he is, so are we in this world. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Who is the body and who is the head? He is the head. We are the body. The feet don't belong where the head is. They belong on the body. And as we exercise our authority, he gets the reward. He gets the praise. He is glorified when we bear much fruit. So when I take authority, when the kingdom comes in my workplace, wherever I go, and I exercise authority, he is glorified. His blood was shed to restore dominion back to us. Say with me, I have powerful hands. And wherever I tread, say it like your warriors. Wherever I tread, the kingdom comes. So where the blood is applied, the oil rests. So if you apply the blood each day on your hands and your feet, and you do it by faith, the presence of God rests in the area that you confess. Lastly, his heart was pierced and blood and water flowed out. We spoke about blood and water at the start, didn't we? They shoved a spear in his side and blood and water flowed out. His blood was shed for the brokenhearted. Do you remember when Jesus is on the donkey and he's riding into Jerusalem and all the fair weather friends said, Hosanna, Hosanna. What a mighty God you are. You're amazing Messiah. We worship you. You know, flags waving. Jesus, Jesus, wow, wow. Can you remember that story? The same crowd, days later, are saying, crucify him. 
The 12 disciples, where are they? In his greatest, well, we know John's there. Peter sort of turns up for a while and takes off. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be brokenhearted. To have people that you thought were your friends leave you in your greatest need. He knows what it's like. And his blood flowed to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe people have ripped your heart out, stomped on it. He knows what it's like. You imagine being on the cross. You're giving your life for the world. And those that should know better are mocking him. The priests, the ones that know the Bible inside and out, the ones that he came to save. He loved Jerusalem. How I wish to gather you under my wing like a hen would gather its chicks. But you rejected me. You didn't know my day of visitation. He knows what it's like to be brokenhearted and blood flows out of his side to heal the brokenhearted. Many people carry brokenness all their life. They were betrayed, had a divorce, something went wrong. And they carry that wound all their life. His blood shed to make you whole. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Can his joy come to areas where you've been brokenhearted and disappointed? Absolutely. His blood redeems. It brings us back to our original place. Have you lost your joy? If you think back to your childhood, were you much happier then? Have you lost something? You've become bitter and twisted, hurt, disappointed. Allow his blood to cover you. You say, well, how does it work? I don't know. Really, I don't know. But I know it works. I know that what he did at the cross 2,000 years ago, if I apply that by faith and say, Jesus, you came just for me. And all that you went through was to restore me in every area of my life. I receive that by faith. And I know that when I pray that prayer, something changes inside me. His life comes in and the anointing of the Spirit begins to change me. I'm not the same. His blood was shed. And they sprinkled the blood on the leper. And he came back into covenant community. Totally whole, totally free. That's us today. That's the message of the gospel for the world, that in every area that you've been stolen from, ripped off, destroyed, wherever the enemy's come and deceived you, you can find wholeness. His blood still avails. There is power in the blood of Jesus. We don't hear that preach very often, but there is power because we think blood, oh, you know, irk, irk, we don't want to talk about that. And in fact, when Jesus said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, most of his disciples took off because they didn't understand that he wasn't asking them to become cannibals. He was saying, you need to partake of all that I have to offer. I'm going to lay down my life here as the suffering servant. And if you receive this by faith, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So I say, Lord, all that you've done, I want. I want. I want to be free. I want you to appropriate the blood of Jesus. What do you, how do you do that? Say, Lord, by faith, I receive your sacrifice. Let your blood redeem every area that Andrew's spoken about today.